0: Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the latest episode of Gibbos Corner. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove. And of course, I'm joined by John Gibson. And the subject of today's episode is Terry McDermott, a legend on and off the pitch for Newcastle United. We are recording this in the Lanehead pub. And if you hear some noise in the background, it's because the pub is getting ready to open. <laughs> um, and yeah, you'll just have to put up with it, unfortunately. Um, John, Terry McDermott... First of all, before we get into it, obviously in recent weeks, it's well, it's horrible and that he has been diagnosed with dementia at the age of just 69. Another professional player with who's released that horrible yep. news. Um, <coughs> what's your thoughts on that, first of all? Well, it's tragic as it would be tragic for
1: anybody in any walk of life. It is a, a horrible, horrible thing. And, um, you know, so many of us look on... These people, as heroes, people like Terry McDermott, people like John Tudor, a uh, different thing, Ray Kennedy, etc., etc. And it is an awful, awful, awful thing. Um, I think the, the big thing from Terry's point of view is that he'll have huge love to keep him warm because if anybody is loved by two clubs and not one club, Dennis Terry McDermott, because he has, he is quite unique. He's a scouser, out and out scouser, has been all his life, accent wise, uh, love for the city, and he's adopted Geordie, and he loves Newcastle as much as he loves Liverpool. And he's managed to combine the two in the love that he will feel from both Liverpool and from Newcastle, from fans will be absolutely enormous, and, and deservedly so, because, I mean, from our point of view, the, the guy has played twice for us, he's had two spells playing for us, he's been numerous times assistant manager, um, forever linked with Kevin Keegan. Uh, Keegan and McDermott is is like fish and chips and Morecambe and Wise and Lowland and Hardy. They go together. And... Um, and while he's a very loyal scouser, he has continued to live on Tyneside and and adores this club.
0: If you're going to want two sets of fans in your corner in this oh. battle, it would be those from Liverpool and Newcastle. I'll, I'll read the statement out that he put together when he announced news because I think it sums up Terry Mack mm. really, really well. So I'll just read it out here. He says, I've got to get on with it and I will. It's the way I've been brought up. Nothing has come to me easily. I'm not frightened of taking it on. And also... As we've seen, there are a lot of former players in a worse state than me. Battling is second nature. The worst thing was until my condition was diagnosed, you don't know what's going on. The number of ex players being diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's is frightening. And just the words of saying, no battling is second nature, I've got to get on with it. Just yeah. sums them up. Because that's the kind of player he was. So he was, you know, he was that midfield kind of player who did just that as well. Yeah, he was. Um, and he is that sort of person he yeah. comes from
1: a working class background in liverpool he's proud of it uh, he had a battle to to make something of himself uh, and he did that very successfully uh, and it is second nature to terry mack and um, he knows he's got an awful lot of per- people in his corner and he rose from being a kirby boy and going to bury Uh, to going on and playing for Liverpool and winning just about everything it was possible to win, Uh, coming back and have a second stint here in the glorious days of Kevin Keegan, and then becoming Kevin Keegan's gopher or or buffer um, when KK come back to manage us. So he's had a superb career and... um, we know without being trite that You Never Walk Alone is the the wonderful, inspiring uh, song of Liverpool and it is true that with Liverpool supporters and with Newcastle supporters joining together and there's a lot of similarity between the two cities I think and the two sets of fans,
0: he will not walk alone, that's for certain. Yeah, we pass our best on to Terry. Let's go back right to the start then when he first arrived mm. at Newcastle and in he was just another brilliant signing from Joe Harvey. You just had a knack of picking these players out. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He came from Bury. And um, this was Joe's major strength, uh, was his man management and um, his ability to spot talent. Exactly the same two strengths as Kevin Keegan had much later as a manager. Um, when you think of the sort of players Harvey plucked from other clubs and turned into stars yeah, off the top of your head you think of Super Mac who was at it, it Luton Town never played in the first division in his life Terry Hibbert who was playing for Leeds Reserves when he signed for us Tony Green came from Blackpool Jenky Smith came from Aberdeen Frank Clark came from Crook Town where he just won the Amateur Cup Tommy Craig came from Chef Wade Paddy Howard from Barnsley and of course McDermott from Bury. this was the great strength of Joe Harvey and and um, he came for, in January 73, for only £25,000. And The funny thing was he, he, he went in to live with Alan Kennedy, um for what was supposed to be a few days when, after signing for Newcastle, uh, and he ended up staying there for two years. And, um, I mean, if you remember Terry, he was built like a toothpick. That, that was, he was thin, wiry. Typical box to box build, if you like, and um, on match days, which were inevitably sad days in those days, we didn't sort of do Sundays and staggered kickoffs. And on match days, he used to have Mrs. Kendy made him a roast dinner, which he had at lunchtime before he went to the match and played in the afternoon, and um, perhaps. A few players might want to do that now if it turns you into a Terry McDermott Champions League winner and England international.
0: Now, we mentioned there he was a bit of a battler, but just go in a bit bit more detail about the player he was.
1: Yeah. um, Strong, uh, not a fancy. He was more... I was going to say he's more of a Joe Willock, but actually, that is the wrong way around. Joe Willock is more of a Terry McDermott, and Joe Willock will do very well to achieve anything like Terry McDermott achieved with uh, the Champions League and with England. Um, But he was, and Joe's built like him. Uh, He was slim, he was relentless. Uh, The loneliness of the long distance runner that was Terry Mack. A terrific finisher. not a fancy-dan ball player. He wasn't a he wasn't a, a Jinky Smith or a Terry Hibbert.
0: Uh, he was the one that got up in support and and finished. Now we know later on in his career, especially when he came to, to, to Newcastle as a coach, he had this kind of reputation as a bit of a joker, kind of the the good cop to Keegan. Was he like that initially when he first arrived oh, in Newcastle?
1: Absolutely, he's a he was a typical Scouser. With all the jokes and the the big Scouse accent and pulling tricks and um, it was second nature to him and uh, I mean the surprise and we'll come to it later on is that Keegan and him got so close because they were in lots of ways very very different people, very very different people Uh, because Keegan wasn't a scouser. He didn't have that accent. Uh, it's, he wasn't playing tricks. He was a very, he was much more serious natured. He was very, very different to uh, to Terry Mack. Um, and but that's. When you're a manager and you appoint assistant, you don't want the assistant to be a replica of you. You've already got you. You want the assistant to do what you don't do. To compliment uh, you. Correct. Not to be... A, and that was a mistake many managers made. Bill McGarry made it in Newcastle. He got Morris to be his number two, which was a total replica of himself. Well, why do you want a replica of yourself? You're the original get somebody this different and Terry Mack was terrific for a dressing room, he was great for a dressing room as a player and he was great for a dressing room as an assistant manager and he brought all that to Newcastle United and of course was on his first spell here was part of the the team that got to the 1974 FA Cup final.
0: Yeah, he wasn't around very long, was he, at Newcastle? Obviously, he got that final and Liverpool were the opponents and Liverpool absolutely thumped Newcastle and then off to Anfield he went. Yeah, um, because he was our man
1: of the match It at, at Wembley. I know that's not saying much because we didn't achieve much, but he, he was one of the few pluses on the day at that final. And the funny thing is, you know, that he's transferred to Liverpool, which was such a success for him personally, uh, was actually, um, the foundations for it were laid in my office in the old Chronicle building down on the, on the big market, which is rather uh, a surprise. Uh, and that came about because after training, uh, each day the players would be finished by about lunchtime, he would come down to my office, I would meet him outside the office, and we'd go the pub just 50 yards down the road uh, we would go down there downstairs in the ba- basement and have a game of snooker uh, and after the game of snooker would come back he'd come into the office with me go upstairs i would lock us in an office where there was no one else around that could hear and he phoned phil thompson who very very famous great player for Liverpool and become an assistant manager at Liverpool. Phil was from Kirby exactly as Terry Mack was and they were very close and he would phone uh, Phil Thompson, tell him the latest state of play that he knew that was happening from the Newcastle side, Phil would fill him in with what was happening from the Liverpool side and the deal eventually got done. Now. That put me on the inside of the deal, so we weren't going to get scooped out of our eyes because uh, we were on the inside of it. And you know what? I didn't begrudge him that move one iota. He wasn't the Jordy that was turning his back on the club to go to another club. For goodness sake, he was born in Liverpool, and Liverpool wanted him, and it was not. If it was natural for Alan Shearer to want to come home to Newcastle instead of going to Manchester United from Blackburn, it was natural that
0: Terry Mack should go to Liverpool. So in those moments when he's making the phone calls in your office, just describe the kind of the mood of Terry. Was he excited? Was he apprehensive? What was it like? Uh he was a scouser. I mean, you can imagine
1: the two of them, they, they spent half the time. I mean, the phone call went on for eternity. It must've cost the Chronicle a few quid, but the story got, they got it back with the circulation. But, um, I mean, they would joke on for an age and then get down to the business in the, in the middle, which was, Hey, what's the latest situation? Has Joe said anything to you at this end? What is happening with the boss down there, et cetera, et cetera, stick in, you'll get it, et cetera. And then back onto the jokes. Um, Uh, but yes uh, he was excited Uh, he was going home he was going home to a side that had the potential to become one of the greatest club sides in the world and they did become one of the greatest club sides if you look at his record he played 322 games for Liverpool scoring 75 goals they won four championships he did four championships three European cups two league cups He was the Football Writers Player of the Year in 1980 and the PFA Player of the Year in 1980. So I suggest that that transfer turned out to be a success, both for Terry McDermott and for Liverpool. And, of course, he did come back to us, so it wasn't the end of our relationship with him. But um, uh, he was going to be destined for bigger things than we were going to be destined for. And... um, you don't begrudge somebody for wanting to go home. Anybody shouldn't have begrudged Alan Shearer for wanting to come home.
0: What was Joe Harvey's take on it all? Was he, he just didn't want, he was, was never going to stand in his way?
1: No, he, he wasn't because he knew that he couldn't. And like I've just talked there, he knew that his heart was in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, he had a love of Newcastle, but the depth of his love for Newcastle came. With, during his repeated returns, when he returned as a player and then he returned as an assistant to KK and had a long run here. Th- this is when his deep love of Newcastle was formed. Joe Harvey knew that he couldn't stand any, in his way. Uh, what Joe Harvey did well is that he got him out of Bury and made him a player good enough for Liverpool to want him. So the, Joe Harvey did a terrific job there.
0: Did you see that move happening? I mean, when he arrived from Bury, did you, did you know of him? Had you seen him? Did you think he's destined for great things? Or was it? did it come after a few months of watching him in the black and white? Because he did form a massive part of that Liverpool side. And I'm just wondering how quickly, quickly yourself, how quickly Joe saw that actually
1: happening. it, it did form... You saw rough edges when he come from Bowie. Um, there was absolutely no question about that. But the, you knew there was a diamond underneath. It was just whether it would be polished or not. Um, and what he had was this unique ability. We were used to wonderful midfielders, but they were always clever on the ball. They were always Terry Hibbert. They were uh, Tommy Craig. They were Drinky. They were um, uh, Tony Green. There were clever midfielders. This guy didn't, wasn't clever. He didn't want to flick the ball up his trouser leg and do a circle and nutmeg people. He wanted to go box to box, box to box, box to box. Uh, but you could see and say, "Ooh, if this guy goes into a top top side with top top players around him," and bear in mind he had Souness around him and he had Hansen behind him. I mean. Hansen, for a centre half, could play like a midfielder. His ability on the ball. And you had Sooness, wonderful. You, you have Keegan to start with, and you have Dalglish after Keegan. I mean, goodness gracious. It's not me. a bad if list. You can, is if it? you can play, you're going to blossom in that sort of environment. And blossom he did, of course. Yeah,
0: so he had a very good career at Liverpool. John's there uh, oh. has mentioned the honours list. He returns to Newcastle, I think, about 1982, and he helps Newcastle win promotion. He's in the side with, with Keegan. Just explain a bit about how that move came around. Yeah, he came back uh, 31, um, and he came back.
1: We were in, in the depths of the doldrums when he came back. We were in the second division. We were going nowhere fast. The crowds were poor. We needed inspiration. We had Arthur Cox uh, in charge. And all of a sudden, the whole thing's transformed. Keegan arrives. Uh, one of the all-time great signings for Newcastle United, without a shadow of a doubt, along with Shearer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In this one, out of the blue, Shearer was coming home, you could understand. This guy was captain of England, and playing for Southampton, who would finish second top in the Premier League. He suddenly coming here to a side so far in the doldrums, but he was a pie paper, And all of a sudden, we've got Water, we've got, Rota, we've got uh, McCreary, we've got Terry Mack, and we've got a front line of Keegan Waddle and Beardsley uh, with McDermott supporting from the middle of the park. And it was terrific. And, of course, McDermott had known Keegan from... Liverpool, uh, the first European Cup-winning side. KK was in it before he went off to Hamburg. Um, and they formed a, a terrific relationship. This is where the relationship really started. It flourished in the years when Keegan became manager. Um, it was, they were totally different. The only thing they had in common was a love of horse racing. Uh, that was the thing that, that bound uh, Keegan and McDermott together from the start. The manager in those days was Arthur Cox, who had a close-cropped hair and full of military muscle. He was like an SAS man, and he worked the players like that. So Terry Mack and Keegan decided one of these days, right, OK, we're going to have a, a gentle mic taker about the boss. So they dressed in army fatigues and had little tommy guns artificial tommy guns and when they went to training that morning they actually crawled through the undergrowth at benwell where the, the long grass was and crawled out with the tommy guns because they were trained by the sas like the sas by arthur cox and of course they brought the house down with the, with the the, uh, the players Coxie saw the fun of it. He also knew it was his best two players, so you better keep them them warm. And it it broke the ground, and they were full of that. Um, and it was mainly inspired by Terry Mack, who was a slapstick comedian, if you like. Um, I mean, I always remember another day. He's got to get up with something. He drives in to St James's Park before training. Often met down there as well as up at Benwell. He drove into St James's Park in the car this morning, with a full Arab's outfit on, the the complete kit and caboodle, the whole lot, the robes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He went in the club office, went up to the um, the chairman's suite, knocked on the door. Stan Seymour Junior was the chairman then, they the son of old Stan. They did done so much in the 50s with Newcastle knocked on the door when the shout come coming he had his headboard in in you know his head covered and he, he sat in the chair and said that he'd come to make a bid for Kevin Keegan that um, he was involved with a football club that would like to sign Kevin Keegan and for a split second Stan Seymour actually thought it was true and panicked like Billio because Keegan was part of the uh, the whole rise and rise of Newcastle United from the doldrums to getting back in the first division was built round KK. Um, and that that was typical Terry Mack. And when Terry Mack told me about it, remembering that we'd done his transfer to Liverpool from my office, when he told me about it, I said, hey, that's a belt, that, that, that's great. I said, hey, look, yeah, you've got an outfit at home. He says, I've got an outfit at home Look like the in Arab. Life. I said what do you put it on like? In, so we can have a, f- a photograph to go with the story. The, the, this is what he did. Want to sign KK. Sure. So he's put he put the whole kit and caboodle on again and we've got a photograph of him sitting in the chairman's office at Newcastle United with his Arabs uniform on. That was typical Terry Mack.
0: On the pitch, you say he came back, he was
1: 31. He could still cut it? Oh, yes. I mean, like a, a lot, you can say that the best years were at Liverpool, um, and I think that's unquestionably true. You can argue that the best years of Beardsley were at Liverpool, although I would also argue that the the part of the sandwich, the two Newcastle bits yeah. with Beardsley were pretty damn good as well. But he won everything at Liverpool. This fellow did. But it's it was interesting for all his game was built on stamina. Stamna more than pace. He had an uncanny knack of knowing when to make the runs. He he wasn't slow, but he wasn't blisteringly fast, but he knew when to make them. Calculated. Yeah, he was clever. He knew when to make them, and he continued to do that. It was obvious that he he wasn't the man that won the European Cup three times and um, got X number of England caps, but he was still very, very effective, and this was Newcastle operating... In the second division as you know and um, I mean the whole thing almost went belly up at the end of that promotion because we won promotion on that forward line of Keegan Waddle and Beardsley but when we went up all of a sudden everything disintegrated before we actually kicked the ball in the first division Arthur Cox believed Newcastle weren't ambitious enough to survive in the top flight comfortably and he went off to Derby County. Kevin Keegan had already announced before the promotion season was completed that he was going to retire uh, because he'd seen that his legs weren't what they were when we played Liverpool in the Cup and uh, he had 10 yards start on Lawrenson who then beat him to the ball. Uh, And he said, I'm not going to play in the top level, I want to be remembered for, and he retired. So you had no more uh, KK, you had no more Arthur Cox, Jack Charlton come in as manager, Jack Charlton, as forthright as it's possible to be, Terry Mack, lovely guy but nobody's fool and will not tolerate certain things. They never got on, Terry Mack was never going to play for Jack Charlton didn't play for Jack Charlton, so he left without kicking a ball. The interesting thing with Terry Mack is one of my great mates was Tommy Casty. They played for Newcastle in the 70s Cup Finals and played in the same side as Terry Mack at Newcastle that went to the FA Cup in 74. And Tommy Cass become my manager at Gateshead after he'd had a spell in Cyprus as a manager, Tommy Cass. And... Um, He was in Nicosia uh, managing the local club (coughs) and he signed Terry Mack for his club and um, I remember Cass telling me much later when Terry Mack first arrived on the island uh, he struggled because the quality of the players around him weren't anything like Liverpool and weren't anything like that Newcastle side that won promotion Mm. and he struggled because he wasn't about a Dickie dancer about his—he was a box to box, relying on getting the ball released. But he came good. In fact, uh, Cass said that a, a couple of directors were looking at Tommy and saying, "Who have you got here? Well, you know, what, why did he bring this guy?" And also questioning whether Cass should stay at the club. It worked out brilliantly at, at the end. They won the the championship, uh, 1986 got to the FA Cup final, got into Europe. Uh, George Best went and and played for them for a couple of games. Can you imagine that, having a team in Cyprus with George Best and Terry Mack in it? Um, It was a good drinking team, mind, as well as pretty decent on the pitch. Uh, But yes, he went out and saw his days out there. Um, And then came home and to all intents and purposes, as far as Terry Mack was concerned, that was him finished with football because he never saw himself as anything on the coaching side or a manager. He never saw himself as
0: a manager, never saw himself as a coach. But, of course, he did return. He returned with Newcastle as a coach. February 92, Newcastle in a right mess. How? Because you've just said that. He never saw himself in that position. We know no. Keegan was over in Spain no, playing golf, and Keegan was probably in the same boat as well. He never imagined himself being becoming a manager. <coughs> so It I was guess. quite staggering. I mean, at the time, Terry Mack was
1: forging a life after football. He had an outside catering business, uh, which meant he went and worked air shows and the Grand National. The, uh, at Aintree, when that was on, selling beef burgers to the punters. Uh, A little bit more than that, but uh, there we go. Uh, And that was how he saw life. And, um, I mean, Terry Mack told me the story many times. He said that um, how everything came about, he used to work out at Anfield uh, a few days a week just to keep himself ticking over fitness-wise, not to get flabby, not to get fat. And um, this day he was working out at Anfield on the weights, etc., etc., And he got a phone call from Little D, which is uh, David McCreary, who had played at Newcastle with him. And McCreary was living up here, uh, as he did, and he phoned to say, hey, you'll never believe it. Our mate, Kevin Keegan, has got the Newcastle United manager's job. Um, He couldn't believe it. He he never thought, because he'd been out in Spain six, eight years, Playing golf was completely out of the loop here. Didn't know any players, hadn't been watching football. He didn't. I mean, Terry Mack said to me, I didn't think he would put up with a day-to-day chore of having to do everything that a manager does. Because as a player, he just turned up, trained very, very hard and had the ability to play. All of a sudden, he was responsible for everything. And he didn't. He put on the teletext because he couldn't believe it to make certain it was true and, and it was true and he said he sent him a telegram there's a sign of the times he sent him a telegram saying hey congratulations little fella pleased for you um, and he said never thought any more about it apart from isn't that a shock like that, that KK is up at Newcastle uh, and I've mentioned that famously Terry Mack was a, a guy for the racehorses so he, he phoned Newcastle United ground a couple of days later to speak to Quinny who McQuinn who a scouser who loved horse racing Uh, McQuinn by the way thought that when Kevin Keegan come he thought he was the Scouse said loved horse racing, the man says Scouse said loves horse racing. But while that put Terry Mack and Keegan together, it didn't put Keegan and Quinney together. It did the exact opposite, actually, and he got Quinney out. Uh, but anyway, when he phoned Quinny it's in James's Park, Derek Wright answered the phone, who was the number one physio at the time. Derek is still at the club now, as you, as you know. Derek Wright answered the phone, and before he handed over to Quinny, he said, Hey, Kevin wants to have a word with you. Not now. He'll be giving you a bell. And Terry Mack said, great, that's no problem. Yeah. And a couple of days later, Terry Mack did phone him and um, said to him, will you come up and help me? And Terry Mack was like, eh? What, you want me to, to come up and help? Of course I'll come up and help. But, you know, what is he is he going to do and um, I talked to KK about it later and uh, and he said the reason was first and foremost you need somebody you can trust when you're first in the manager and Kevin Keegan was huge on trust he believed in it so so much mind you the first time you cross is also the last time you cross him because there's no coming back and Terry Mack has said that to me many many times he said he's the loyalest, most honest bloke I have ever known bar none but never cross him because if you cross him you're dead and he said I once I needed somebody that was loyal um, and he was the one that famously called him his buffer or his gopher and uh, because he knew he wasn't a super-duper coach, but then KK wasn't a coach. But he knew that he'd be loyal, he would cover Kevin's back, and he would be terrific in the dressing room for the players. And that is what he did. Is He, he was the guy that the players... You sometimes don't want to go to the manager, you know, because it makes it a big, big thing if you've got a little problem. But if you go to a confident that has also got the ear of the manager and talk to him, problems can be solved. And that was what Terry Mack did and, and was great. And the meeting that KK had with Newcastle United in London when he got the manager's job, he said at that time, John Hall had just taken over the club, but was not in full control, uh, so he couldn't do everything that he wanted to do, and the club financially was in some trouble, and so KK, who had hired the room for the Newcastle United meeting himself, out his own pocket, said to John Hall at the meeting, I want to bring Terry McDermott up, and that got the raised eyebrow. Uh, as ev- It even got a raised eyebrow of Terry Mack. Um, and he said to John, um, I'll pay for him out of my own pocket. That's the sort of relationship. I have. I'll pay his wages out of my own pocket. He was due, Terry Mack, to only come up here for three months, which was to see Newcastle, if you remember, from avoiding relegation to the old third division, uh, so he was going to stay for three months uh, to help KK do that, and that's the, the way he came up here. And, of course, he stayed for life mm. um, after that. Uh, and, I mean, it was laughingly suggested with, with Cherry Mac, they say, what, what was his job exactly when he came to Newcastle under Keegan? And it, oh, his job was to go for the racing post, to get the lunchtime sawnies and to put out the cones on the training pitch. That was funny and that appealed to Terry Mack's sense of humour because he had a real cutting-edge sense of humour. But it was a great disservice to what he contributed. Yes, he wasn't one of these great intellectual coaches that would come up with new tactics or whatever, but he was absolutely invaluable to... Kevin Keegan within the dressing room, and therefore, he's got to get credit for what happened with
0: KK. I mean, the first few months in the job weren't easy. I mean, Newcastle very nearly went down. Oh. And I always remember Keegan saying it would have been unfair on him, it would have been unfair on Terry to take these players down because they weren't his players, so to speak. What, how important was Terry in those months leading up to the eventual survival? I I
1: think the first thing that uh, Kevin Keegan saw, bearing in mind that long-term, he'd have to put the team right. Short-term, he's got to get results. And the best way of getting results is bonding together, where we are against the world, the siege mentality, and we will survive. And Terry Mack's perfect for that. He's perfect for that. And what KK knew is that You can get some assistant managers that will just denigrate the manager a bit in a conversation with a player behind the manager's back. Oh, I don't worry, son, the manager's got it wrong, but we'll get it. None of that was involved with Terry Mack. He was as loyal to KK as KK was to him. And, of course, the point that we've also not mentioned yet in what Terry Mack gave to Newcastle United was that whenever kevin keegan walked out and he did it so often it was untrue in fact uh, he had to have a revolving door in the manager's office so that he could leave anytime he felt like it and because he left regularly it was his first manager's job i i think in fairness to kk who was very strong willed and hot-headed on occasions and um, he didn't realise the diplomacy and the give and take and the cleverness at this stage that as a manager you had to have. So that if he didn't like something, he took to his toes. (coughs) Some of it become... And I was right in at Newcastle at the time because I'd been part of the Magpie group that had helped get John Holland to power. So I was sitting on the inside of everything that was happening at Newcastle United. And two or three times, Kevin... Took to his toes, <coughs> and it never come out publicly. On a few occasions, it did, and on the first occasion, it did. If you remember, it's not what it said in the brochure, the famous quote which has lasted to to these days. And that was because at that time, uh, John Hall didn't have full control of Newcastle United. Uh, he was getting there. He was in the he was in the boardroom, but not full control, and therefore. He could not automatically do what he did when he had full control, which is go out and sign everybody right up to a world record fee for Shearer. So it wasn't what he'd been promised. And, um, and, and really, it was Terry Mack that went and, and solved the position. Again, I spoke at length with Terry Mack about that day, and he, and, and he explained there was infighting in the, um, in the boardroom, at Newcastle, in that KK felt he was piggy in the middle. Uh, they were living at that time in the Gosford Park Hotel, as KK had done when he signed for Newcastle as a player. Uh, and on the Friday afternoon, they were playing Swindon on the Saturday, uh, and KK had been met with a, a stubbornness to his plans that he wanted to implement pretty quickly. And uh, he suddenly announced to Terry Mac, "That's it. We are checking out, and we're heading south." And you know, sort of Terry Mac was he? Eh? What what's going on? He said, "Well, we've had enough. We've got it." And Terry Mac said to me, "The idea behind it was that we had to get away out of Newcastle's, out of St James's Park, and out of Newcastle to be able to talk everything through without the pressure of sitting on the volcano." So the first decided they would go to the Lake District to have this private talk. They got as far as Hayden Bridge on, on the way west to go to the Lake District, and Terry Mack was chipping away at KK in the car all the time, and he, KK accepted. This would be unfair on the players and on the fans. Never mind what is happening with the board, there's a game tomorrow. If, if all of a sudden the manager and the assistant manager aren't taking that game, that is unfair on the fans and the players. So they decided, KK agreed, that they wouldn't renege on the game the next day. So what do we do now? We don't want to go to the Lake District. We're far too far away. So they turned the car round and went to Ramside Hall, which is just by Durham City in Sunderland. And they stayed overnight in the Ramside Hall, talked all the way through dinner, talked in the room afterwards, got up, had breakfast in the morning in the ramside, and suddenly decided, both jumped in the car and went to St James's Park at 11 o'clock in the morning. The players had absolutely no idea what had been going on before the game. Newcastle went out and won the game, uh, as this tended to do under KK, but Terry Mack said to me, hey, Gibbo. He said before the referee had got in the referee's room and taken off his gear and had a shower, KK at the end of the game never went in the, the, the dressing room to speak to the players. He went out to his car and he was gone. And Terry Mack stayed uh, there to talk to the players to eventually go out to the press and have to talk to the press. And the press are now thinking there's something happening here um, and it's interesting how it was handled because Newcastle in, in the days under John Hall and Kevin Keegan were great at communication if you remember when uh, when they sold coal uh, Keegan went out to face the players and by the way if you look at those pictures the guy on Keegan's shoulders is Terry McDermott um, John Hall went to the training ground and talked to Two fans had turned up, got off a train from London, went to the training ground. Hall actually went down to the press room. John Hall, can you imagine Mike Ashley doing this? Went down to the press room to say that Kevin Keegan had left the room, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, made a statement. And by now, the windows of the press room were open. We know the press room ever so well. And you could hear the fans being disenchanted outside because, of course, the word was going out on radio, etc., that KK had left the building as they as they say and the fans were getting upset hall made a statement on the friday freddie fletch got in touch freddie fletcher is the leech only of those days got in touch with kk on the sunday sorry on the sunday lunch in hampshire where he, where he had his house and said look i've got to John Hall, here. John Hall got on the phone to him and said, listen, there's only me and you can save Newcastle United. There's only me and you. And that struck a chord with Kevin Keegan. It's us two against the world. And it's the chairman saying that. And Hall told him that there would be a check, a personal check made out in Keegan's name for the Monday morning... And that money could be spent on getting a player. And on that proviso, Keegan just said, see you Monday. Put the phone down in his car. He was up there for Monday. There was the check waiting for him. And he bought Killer Kill Cline, uh, who he's always said was the start of the building of Newcastle because they needed organization at the back. I'm thinking uh, I sound a bit like today. They needed organisation at the back. They needed a good centre half, etc., cetera, etc. And he always says, "And Killer had been skipper of the Coventry side that won the cup. He was very, very good." And uh, off they went from there. But there was a lot of times
0: when Terry Mack saved the whole situation. So he was the kind of the calm head. he yeah. was the sounding board for Keegan. He, and I guess that you say a lot of the work he did back then probably went unnoticed and, you know, he wasn't one to shout from the rooftops about his role in it. He was just, he was yeah. there and just gone with it.
1: He, he, he was terrific for Keegan and Keegan was terrific for him. He didn't want Keegan's limelight. He didn't want to say, oh, and by the way, I'm chipping in and I'm doing me little bit. He would never say this on the side. He was happy to leave Keegan up there in the spotlight, which Kevin loved and Kevin did very, very well, and he was supportive and reliable behind him, but carried an awful lot of significance. And he was a good... You've got to bear in mind that having got Klein in, Newcastle started spectacularly to buy good, good quality players um, as the entertainers were built up. And in a lot of those signings, Terry Mack had a part to play. Uh, which was terrific. Philip Albert, for example, who come to Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle were taking part in a pre-season tournament, 1994 this is, in Glasgow. Terry Mack's up with KK, etc., etc. Terry Mack takes a phone call from an agent who says, I've got five days to sell Philip to. A, and I'm trying to do it to a top English club. He'd already been in Touched the agent with Liverpool and with Blackburn Rovers, and was now in touch with Newcastle United. Terry Mack went straight to KK, and he had because he had a feeling that KK liked Albert. KK had worked at the World Cup, which was in America that summer. He'd worked for TV at the World Cup in America, and he'd seen Albert play for Belgium, and he'd mentioned him to uh, to, to Terry Mack what a good player he was. And Terry Mack said, you know, the good thing with KK and the frightening thing with KK is that he makes up his mind so quickly that a player's for us or a player's not for us. And he said, here, we go and we get uh, Philip Albert." He said, Terry Mack said, I went once with him to Scotland to scout a player. He said, and we're sitting in the stand and the players run out the tunnel for the start of the game, and Keegan says to Terry Mack, come on, son, Warform is not for us. And Terry Mack said, women, he hasn't even kicked the ball yet. Yeah, the game hasn't started. He said, now, he said, the shape of the kid, the way he runs, the sluggishness of him, and he's just running out of the tunnel, by the way, is not for Newcastle United. And they were gone, and that's how much he makes up his mind very very quickly and he did that with Philip Albaire he just said Philip Albaire's first and within days Philip Albaire was a Newcastle United player
0: now we all know what followed with Newcastle United the entertainers touching distance within the Premier League title how good was Terry do you think to, to miss out on that Premier League title, title with Newcastle
1: oh without a, a shadow of doubt because he he missed out to Manchester United, which is Liverpool's greatest blinking rival, so it was bad enough missing out, but to miss out Alex Ferguson and Manchester United, having had a 12-point uh, lead, was an absolute killer for, for them all, and I think that took I'd, I n- I never think that Keegan was the same man again at Newcastle. I think that was the day.
0: Do you think Terry then had to hold that together? I mean, we know Keegan obviously resigned the January after, so do you think in that time he could see what you could see, he could see that Keegan wasn't the same man, he was trying to hold it all together? I yeah,
1: think? yeah. I think, I think he did. And, of course, he was trying. You've got to remember that Shearer, at this time, turned down Manchester United to come to... Um, Newcastle. Uh, you've got to remember that David Ginola was wanted by Barcelona, and you can see them fitting like a glove the pair of them, Barcelona and and David. Um, and Keegan persuaded him to stay at Newcastle. Now he brought in Shearer, and he persuaded Ginola to stay here, and then he took to his toes. It 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 wasn't comfortable. And by the way, just. The one thing I want to say on Janola, that's interesting and emphasizes what Terry Mack brought to the table, when we actually signed GENOLA, Kevin Keegan was in America. And Terry Mack was on a caravan site in Amble. He was on a caravan site in Amble when he got a call on his mobile and it was the president of Paris Saint-Germain and... He negotiated with the president in the absence of Keegan because the negotiations weren't done by by the chairman or the chief executive. It was done by the manager mm-hmm. in those days. So Terry Mack is in a caravan in Amble talking to the Paris Saint-Germain president who has got a lady interpreter next to him. He's got the voice full so she can hear it. To help. Now, can you imagine the interpreter trying to get this scouse accent of, of Terry Mack and do a financial deal for David Janola? But you see, he wasn't just making up the numbers. Uh, you know, when he took mm. part like that in in bringing such a startling player as is, is Ginola, it's special.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Everything is Black and White podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We just urge you guys to please subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you use totally free to do just means every time we upload a new episode to our channel you'll get a notification saying we've done just that and you can listen to it straight away and if you get the chance to leave us a review as well that would be much appreciated that really does help us out you can also follow chronicle lives new Cash united channels over on social media we're at chronicle nufc on twitter facebook and instagram and you can email us here at the show with your feedback, your comments, your questions, whatever. Just drop us a line at the EIBW podcast at reachplc.com. And you can also stick a date with everything to do with the club by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. That's also free. And you'll get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and a breaking news alert as well. And that'll get emailed directly to your inbox. The link for that is in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to sport-Newcastle United tick the box and you'll all be signed up. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll now get back to the show. speak to the likes of Les Ferdinand, Warren Barton, they always talk about trading up at Maiden Castle and you've got the crowds and there's one story that Barton in particular always tells about looking up at the burger van and there's Kevin Keegan and Terry Mack with a burger, legs over the side of the burger van telling them to get on with the sprinting. I mean, he must have been, we know Keegan was in his elements in that situation was Terry Mack as oh, well being that close to the punt now? Totally, totally, totally. Loved that. And all
1: Newcastle did uh, under Keegan was what Liverpool did, which is play five aside. side. So Terry <laughs> Mack and Keegan would play five aside. I was going to
0: say, yeah, did Terry Mack get involved? We know Keegan did.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. Loved it, loved it. I mean, once a player, always a player. It's only age that tells you you're not a player anymore, but if you can get the excuse. And the other one was head tennis. They were always playing head tennis, a pair of them. Um, You know, great, great partnership and joy that has lasted to this day. Mm. Uh, They are still the closest of friends to this day. Um, There's absolutely no question about that loyal as it's possible to be to each other um and that's terrific to see because uh, sometimes in football it gets a bit bitchy mm. uh, but and you know i always used to have a bit fun with 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 uh, terry mack and say listen mate if i come back in the next life i want to be terry mcdermott i used to say and he said why is that i said well i'll tell you what like because after you finish playing, you tell me you never thought you'd be in football again. And I thoroughly understand that, and that's the way it is. Uh, because we all accept you're not a manager. You're not a coach in the traditional sense of, say, James, uh, Graham Jones or, or Berkey in the old days or whatever. You're not a coach, and neither was KK. But this is the career you had at Newcastle. You came up in 92 to 97 for Keegan. And work with Keegan in this great area, era. When Keegan takes to his toes, who's the next Newcastle United manager? Kenny Dalgleish, that just happened to play with you at Liverpool. So he was manager in 97 to 98, and you were his assistant. Now, there's a blip in the road here because the next manager's is Ruud Hullard, and then the next manager's is Bobby Robson, neither of whom have any association with you. So, you're yeah, not assistant manager. However, you're not daft. You don't go away to live in Liverpool just in case you might be needed at Newcastle again. So, you're still in Davis And what happens when Bobby Robson goes? Graham Sooness is appointed, who just happened to play with Terry Mack at Liverpool. So, Terry Mack's back in as assistant to Graham Sooness, 2004 to 2006. Because he's done such a, go- a good job as the number two to Sooners. When Glenn Roder comes in, uh, he's getting stepped up, so he stays as Glenn Roder's assistant. When Sam Allardyce comes in, he stays as Sam Allardyce's assistant. Now, when Sam Allardyce is then peddled by Mike Ashley, who gets the job? Kevin Keegan, who he'd played with at Liverpool. It's gone the full circle, and he's been assistant manager... To Kevin Keegan, Kenny Dalglish, Graham Souness, and Kevin Keegan again. So, but what that does tell you is that the appointment of McDermott in the first place by Keegan wasn't so stupid, because people of the stature of Dalglish and Souness realised what he brought to the table and kept him there. And after. In September 2008, Keegan walked away in the very famous thing with Ashley that ended up in a legal wrangle. Uh, other, p- other people realised how important Terry Mack was, and in between the time when he was out the loop with uh, Hullit and Robson, John Barnes, who just happened to play with him, by the way, at Liverpool, took him uh, to Celtic as an assistant, and then Lee Clark, who played with him in Newcastle, had him as assistant at Huddersfield in Birmingham to Lee Clark. So the guy has obviously got an awful lot going from we can all smile, but you don't keep a job just because you go for the racing post. You keep a job
0: because y- you're loyal and you have an input in the dressing room. Just finally, the pub's just opened there, so we are going to wrap this one up. Just sum up, John, in a sentence or so, what Terry Mack means to Newcastle United. Terry
1: Mack is the total fabric of Newcastle United. He Everything that's good about Newcastle United, he has been associated with. As a player, the first time around, he helped take us to the FA Cup final. As a player, the second time around, he took us to promotion with Keegan, Waddle, and Beardsley. He come back as an assistant manager at the greatest, most entertaining time in Newcastle's modern history, which is the entertainers under Keegan, uh, and he stayed in and went to the cup final with Dalglish. Uh, and he remains on Tyne's side with a great love, of Newcastle United. He is an ambassador, official ambassador at Liverpool and goes through for all their matches but he also goes to the Newcastle United matches because he cares the greatest two clubs in his life are Liverpool and Newcastle United and think of those two fan bases. No wonder he feels a warmth and I wish him everything he wishes himself and everything the Newcastle fans and the Liverpool fans wish him because we own an awful lot and sometimes it's forgotten what his contribution was to the club as an assistant manager we've been blessed to have Terry McDermott from the day he walked in from Bury all the way through to now